Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. I've got a very special guest, Alex Svetsky. So if you haven't heard him speak or read any of his articles, he's very deep on the philosophical side of Bitcoin and waking up from the clown world. So we get into a bunch, we take a deep dive into relationships, kind of the overall dichotomy between men and women. Um, and yeah, that the problems that's kind of rooted in society these days and how it all kind of ties back to money, unfortunately. So, you know, and what are the things you can do to kind of take that charge and shift, not really conform to the clown world. So it's overall a great conversation. Alex is a great writer. So if you haven't checked out any of these pieces, pieces, I've linked his link tree in the show notes. So be sure to check that out when you get some free time. And lastly, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Fountain, all these different places. Even if you listen on one place, just subscribe to all of them for me. And and check out my YouTube, like the video, and subscribe. Help that channel grow. I've been working really hard on the YouTube to bring out more clips for you. So please, please, please do that. And lastly, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast is strictly for opinion purposes only and for entertainment. Whoa, I said that weird. But anyway, it's been a long day. Not financial advice. That's all you need to know. Now, let's get into the episode. Whoosh. Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And for all of those listening on any podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain, I really appreciate the boost. I do read them all the time and, and look at people who are streaming me stats and I try to return the favor. So I do really appreciate it. Um, there was a boost left, but no comment on the last episode. So shout out to Fluid Track for giving me the boost on the last episode with Muzz. Mike Jarmuz, uh, managing partner of Lightning Ventures. So we talked about venture capitalists and all the kind of trials and tribulations they're going through right now in this difficult macroeconomic time, especially as a Bitcoin-only VC. And then I'd like to shout out my sponsor, Coddle.co. That's C-O-D-L.co. They have the best punch plates in the game. You can order them off their website, and they'll get them directly shipped to you. You can use promo code GREENCANDLE. So get your uh, Bitcoin off exchanges. Use a punch plate to store those seed phrases and buy it from coddle.co. I'm helping you save 10%, and you can use that 10% to stack more sats. So what do you have to lose there? Take it off an exchange and use a punch plate to store those seed phrases. Store it very, uh, you know, very sound and securely. And lastly, if you're listening to this on YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts, please, please, please share and subscribe uh, to everything I got going on. I really appreciate the support to the show. It helps me bring on a lot of great guests. All right. That was a mouthful, but I do have a very special guest waiting. I got Alex Fetsky. He's author to the Uncommunist Manifesto, Timeless Bitcoin, host of the Wake Up Podcast, and overall just a great ambassador for a Bitcoin space. So Alex, how are you doing today? Good, brother. Thank you for um, thanks for having me on, man. I look forward to this chat. Of course, of course. Yeah, me too. So, um, you know, I've heard you speak on, on various occasions and, and seen you kind of all over the space. But uh, for those who might not know anything about you, why don't you give us a little bit on your background? And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take it from there. Cool, man. I think most people know me from sort of my Bitcoin content stuff. So whether it's like 
abusing people on Twitter or, you know, the articles um, or the Bitcoin Times or the Uncommunist Manifesto um, or any of those sorts of things. But, you know, my, my, my personal history has been more entrepreneurial. I dropped out of university when I was sort of a year and a half, two years in, and I went on you know, a business building spree. Um, half successful, half not so successful, you know, had my fair share of blow-ups and all sorts of stuff. And, um, and yeah, the sort of my foray into the Bitcoin space was the, the world's first dollar cost averaging app. So, you know, I remember in 2017, uh, basically putting, putting together the first Bitcoin only DCA app in the world and really one of the only Bitcoin only companies out there. Like people were laughing at me, they're like, bro, are you doing an ICO? And no. Um, and it was a, it was a really strange time, but you know, I'm glad to see sort of here we are five years later or, you know, almost six years later with, you know, not only Bitcoin-only companies out there, but Bitcoin-only VCs and entire network of that sort of stuff um, having emerged. So, yeah, these days, you know, doing, you know, I spent 2022 doing mostly writing and, um, and now I'm low-key in stealth working on something new, um, but I can't talk about it yet. It's going to take me another six months before I talk about it, but... Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's a bit about me. Yeah, and that's that's great stuff. So, you know, all through this, you, um, you know, I've gone through entrepreneurship and found Bitcoin and everything like that. But, you know, what really interests me about you is it seems like you're kind of, you know, your writing is more on the, I guess, outskirts of Bitcoin. It's not necessarily like on the, you know, the tech or, or something like that. It's kind of on, you know, what the hard money principles and changing the money can really do for society and kind of like, you know, the downfall that we're currently in. So, you know, what kind of brought you to, I guess, that space on Bitcoin instead of going maybe down, you know, the mining or the lightning network or other the, those kind of rabbit holes? Yeah, I think I'm just more, I have, I have a predisposition for the bigger questions instead of the details. Um, and, you know, when you, when you sort of look at, you know, and this is not to diminish from what, you know, lightning network is or, you know, mining is or, you know, the trading and the price and all that sort of stuff, everything is relevant, but sort of, you know, my, my interest is always, okay, so what, what does all of that mean? Right. And, you know, where's all of that leading? And yeah, I've always, uh, you know, my, the allure to large questions and big topics has always been strong for me ever since a young age. Like I was always interested in philosophy you know, I was always interested in, um, you know, theology, I was always interested in, you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, like finding Bitcoin for me was was quite unique because it seemed to not only like blend a lot of these things in one place, but you could find a lot of these things individually in Bitcoin as well. So it's kind of like this, you know, Bitcoin kind of reflected whatever you threw at it, right? And you could find Bitcoin in everything. And yeah, it was, a. Uh, I guess that's the... Um, the flavor that most attracted me. Yeah, so let's start there then, you know, because it's kind of like a, you know, a philosophical, a ph philosophical thing that we're, we're going through when it comes to Bitcoin. And it's all kind of wrapped around, you know, the degradation of, you know, the United States, it seems like, you know, the, the fiat kind of Ponzi is, is kind of running to an end and it kind of all revolves around the money. So, you know, I guess like, you know, around the Bitcoin space has kind of been popularized, like what the fuck happened in 1971 and that kind of yep. stuff. But, um, you know, 
think, uh, I guess this all kind of the degradation of society kind of started. Do you think it was 1971 or do you think that there, you know, maybe some other factors that kind of led to, to where we're at today? Oh, many, many other factors. It's like, you know, the, it's, it's one of those questions. It's like, if 1971 is so important, what led to 1971, right? Um, and then sort of, you know, someone will say, oh, yeah, World War II. And it's like, okay, so what led to that? You know, World War One. you know, what led to that? You know, 1913 and the central bank. It's like, okay, so what the hell led to that? You know, and you sort of can keep going. It's like turtles all the way down, right? Um, you know, my, my sort of sense is that the, you know, a bunch of, wheels started to fall off uh, the bandwagon kind of in the mid to late enlightenment sort of um, age. So, you know, I, I always pinpoint the French revolution actually as something where a bunch of hierarchical things got overturned and a bunch of really stupid ideas started being um, you know, espoused. And, but, you know, one could also argue that that time had come because a lot of that, you know, era was a little bit, um, you know, overindulgent, you know, it was weak, like Louis the 16th was a pussy uh, in comparison to Louis the 14th, right? So had Louis the 14th been around, he would have like quelled the um, the rebellion very, very quickly, but, you know, he didn't and he wasn't. And um, and you sort of saw, you know, the, the whole patriarchy sort of fall apart. And, you know, there's also mega political factors uh, associated here too. It was, you know, it was a time in which, um, centralization and industrial you had sort of the rise of industrialization and it made sense to centralize and you had there was there was strength in sort of numbers right and you know if you were on the right side of that trend you became extraordinarily you know rich powerful large etc etc so you know it's in many ways like if you take a really really long view of things this is just something that humans have to go through um, and you know the decisions made along the way were sort of dependent on the decisions that came before it and you know we sort of found our way here um, and, th and that's not to sort of defend 1913 or world war one to you know or 1971 or anything like we have at every single point in time a better choice to make but you know as like I said this to, I think, I think a podcast with Valerie or something like that, we were talking about masculinity, et cetera. But, you know, I so said a lot of the, you know, the last wave of really strong based men sort of got killed off in World War One, you know, and then their, their kids were sort of still like that, um, you know, and then, you know, the strongest and best of them went to World War Two, and then they got wiped out. And then we sort of had a whole wave of, you know, multi-generational feminism sort of rise up from that. And, you know, you have the, you know, the, the weak men stage of the, of the hop cycle, right. Um, you know, creating bad times. So yeah, it's, it's always hard to pinpoint, um, you know, history is a, is a big mishmash. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, what's served in front of you, you sort of get the, the hard route or the easy route. And, you know, depending on who's in a position to make the choices, um, you know, maybe the easier route taken that has, you know, a longer term consequence that is, you know, not felt by them. And, you know, maybe, maybe all of that shit is just catching up with us now. Um, and, you know, it's up to us, I guess, our generation to, to buck that trend, hopefully. Yeah. And it's interesting you kind of say that because, you know, it, it seems like starting in 2020 ish time is maybe when I really started to notice, you know, maybe people kind of describe the, 
you know, the, the more feminine men in like the 2010s to 2020 time. But I, I think like during COVID, we really started to see the, the shift, right? You know, we got the pronouns, the they, thems, and and all that mm-hmm. kind of jazz kind of going through there. So, you know, I, I guess as like Bitcoiners are kind of going in, there's, you know, there, there's this, I guess, like masculine crisis. Like it's not good to be a masculine man anymore. And, and people kind of are, you know, I guess that's looked down upon in in society. So, you know, as we're kind of getting down this rabbit hole or, you know, this this bad path, how can Bitcoiners like help just revert the trend as it's kind of like looked down on in society? Like, how do we kind of, I guess, flip the script and and get back to, you know, maybe the traditional family values and the traditional, you know, the man and woman relationship? And if I had to sum it up, I'd say by winning. Right. So. Seriously, like nobody follows losers and nobody's inspired by a loser. And I think, you know, what Bitcoiners need to do is get better at fucking winning. Um, and, that, and that's not to say we're not winning. You know, a lot of the time Bitcoiners are winning, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and really, like for me, it just boils down to be the change you want to see in the world. Right. So in and amongst your peer group, you know, your community, your, um, you know, your family, all that sort of shit, you should be the winner. You should be the one that is inspiring others to want to be like you. You know, being, being like, this is why a lot of the libertarians, and, and this is, you know, I, I understand this is a gross generalization. This isn't all libertarians, but a big bunch of them are like fat slobs who are like, yeah, bro, it's okay. You know, I'm free to like smoke weed and get fat and do whatever I want. It's like, it's freedom, right? It's like, well, that's, you know, just because there's no bad in it, like if you can make the argument that there's no bad in it, doesn't mean that there's no good in it, right? Um, so, hold on, let me rephrase that. Um, just because you can make the argument, it's like, where's the harm in it? Like if I'm taking this shit myself, um, it doesn't uh, sort of negate the fact that you haven't answered the question of where's the good in it, right? So so that's sort of the, the premise there. So I, I honestly think the answer is you, you should be a model for people to want to be like you. And as I said, whether it's your peers, family, community, or whatever. And when I say should, like that's assuming you want to uh, reflect the change that you want to see in the world. If you just want to be a hypocrite and say, you know, the world's got to be better and all that sort of shit, but you don't be better yourself, then, you know, don't complain when the world's not better, right? Um, So that's it. Like, Fix your, fix your own shit first, like, you know, Jordan Peterson 101, right? Clean your room. Like, sort yourself out first and then inspire others through your behavior, through your posture, through your, you know, um, through how you show up to want to emulate that. That's, that's always the answer. It's always been the answer. Yeah, it's kind of like lead by example, right? And I think, you know, when it comes Literally. down, to, you know, there's – there, there's been a recent article that's coming out that's just coming that's just kind of come to my mind as as we've seen it and it's it was from a CNBC you know so classic n- news media outlet but it said that you know people who put they them on their uh you know on their resumes are less likely to be hired than somebody who doesn't even put their pronouns or anything like that so I think that's you know, hilarious <laughs> yeah so I think like you know the national news media outlets that have been kind of feeding into this narrative are now kind of changing the course on it. And so do you think that that's going to be kind of a shift in the next couple of years, as we've seen kind of almost a dramatic shift one way that we'll almost kind of see it, you know, a dramatic shift kind of back the other way where it's like, hey, you know, being the the masculine jock kind of, 
mindset is going to be more cool where now uh, before it was, you know, kind of looked down upon? I don't know, man. Um, hmm. You know, tre- trends, trends are tricky things, you know, like that, uh, you know, that, that may well happen. Um, I don't know, you know, Hmm. I don't. I don't want to just give you like a stock standard answer here. I want to sort of think it through because, like, there is a groundswell of that sort of stuff happening, right? Like, particularly with Elon taking over Twitter and stuff like that. You know, the, the discourse has changed. Um, you know, there's more and more people who, you know, quote unquote, like, have realized that everything was a scam. You know, Scott Adams is like one of those classic examples, right? Um, you know, and. You know, there's been a palpable shift. Um, you know, does that mean that the pendulum does swing entirely that way? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe on a on a in a broader historical sense, but I, I don't think that that's sort of happening anytime soon. I think there's just way too many uh, woke monkeys out there. Um, but you know, th- th- there's clearly been some sort of shift in that. Um, my, my, my feeling, though, is that maybe we're a little bit biased because of how um, echo chambers form inside Twitter, for example. So, so, so I don't know how real it is. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, and I 100% agree. It is tough to tell, but, you know, just from, you know, anecdotal perspective, I, I'm here in Florida, so obviously a lot of people kind of flocked down here during the COVID-19 pandemic and everything because it stayed open, and it was previously kind of known as a little bit of a swing state, right, whether it be blue or red, you know, people didn't really know year, uh, election to election time, and then this past election, uh, especially the midterms, uh, it flooded red so it seems like a lot of people who kind of had that mindset you know maybe floated down this way to florida and you know from that i've kind of noticed you know maybe a shift in the friends that i'm making down here where you know i grew up in austin which is typically the other side of the coin um Mm -hmm. where you know a lot of people are just kind of viewing things like hey this is kind of messed up and they're they're you know the pronoun usage and other things like that isn't exactly prevalent around here either so you know that that's where it kind of makes me feel like all right well you know i maybe it's just because i'm surrounding myself with bitcoiners and with you know other people kind of of the like mindset but you know just for me personally i do see somewhat of a shift in that but you know when it comes to like working in a normal fiat job i do see the other side of the coin too where you know they're, they're worried about you know uh not offending people or not saying the wrong word or not saying the right you know uh making sure everybody feels inclusive and other things like that but i think you know overall where we might see a little bit of a shift as the the economic times kind of uh you know, get a little bit harder, especially on companies where they're going to start laying off a lot of these, you know, useless jobs, the, inc- the inclusion jobs, that kind of stuff, making sure everything's diverse mm-hmm. and it's hire the best candidates. And so, you know, I think that all kind of revolves around money because, you know, when it comes to money and there's easy access to capital, um, you know, kind of to revert it back to, to Bitcoin and like the interest rates and other things like that dumb ideas don't die as easily when, when money's easy to come by totally. stay, stay along a lot longer. So I think, you know, as we're kind of getting along to more Bitcoin adoption, we're getting, you know, interest rates rise and other things like that. And, and companies are kind of struggling. We're going to see kind of, I don't know, in my opinion, a little bit of a reversion back to, you know, maybe not fully back to 
the pre-pronoun days, but we're, we're going to see that become less and less common, I think, over time. Um, now, do those voices that, that were already kind of loud still get louder? Maybe. I don't know. But the, I think that there's going to be less of a spot for them maybe in, in overall society. And it'll be more of, I guess, a reversion back to, you know, kind of the, the normal, not normal, but I guess historical kind of male-female dynamic. Man, I can only hope you're right. Um, my my concern is that we're in the in the calm before the storm, <laughs> like you know, in sort of like a correction of that shitty trend. Um, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, because... well, maybe I'm just a little bit optimistic in that sense, but we shall see. I mean, I guess it's going to be an interesting next few years. But um, I want to dive maybe. into the Uncommunist Manifesto because um, you know, there's obviously you know a bunch of principles uh, of communism. And you've kind of lined out that you know, I, I'll let you give the spiel, but you've lined out that America essentially has you know a lot of those values and kind of runs through that. So, um, you know, why do you think I guess we're shifting a little bit more towards the communism, uh, I guess, dynamic and less towards, I guess, the true capitalism dynamic? Oh, man, I think. um Because I think you know, central controllers, you know, or planners, you know, their reason for instance is to centrally plan something. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you're not going to expect a central planner to, you know, put forth a proposal that suggests that people work shit out themselves um, because they'd be out of a job, like, you know, or they'd be, they'd have no meaning to life. So, you know, when you look at, you know, just, just the, the, the structure of a nation state, you know, and the structure of, you know, the, the relationship between, you know, the government and the central bank and everything like that, it seems to lend itself more and more to towards like planners and, you know, central operators, um, you know, pulling particular levers. And, you know, there's an incredible amount of power that comes with, you know, being in a position of, you know, of those sorts, right? Like, being in a you know high-end government position or being a you know head of central banking or something like that and you know the, the system sort of feeds on itself uh, continuously so um you know the the idea that hey we should you know put everyone through public schooling you know that was an idea that first sort of came up in um in the French Revolution, right? And it didn't really happen until the Prussians, you know, did it. Um, and, you know, to, to this day, we're still, you know, operating in, you know, these sort of schooling systems that were designed for the early industrial age. Um, they're completely irrelevant now, um, but they were useful then, right? And, you know, that like sort of culture is such a hard thing to shift, right? Culture sort of evolves over generations. It doesn't, um, it doesn't shift, uh, you know, uh, inner generationally, it shifts intergenerationally. And, you know, more importantly than culture, then you sort of have, you know, upstream from that is sort of the, the structures that make up society. And, you know, we, you know, technology and everything like that changes much faster than those things do. So you have this sort of, you know, uh, mismatch of timelines um, and mismatch of progression and pace and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, makes the whole, the whole thing messy. So, um, you know, coming back to those sort of seven points, like, you know, in, in the framework or in the context or in the paradigm of, of a nation state, you know, that has a central banking appendage, um, a lot of the sort of Marxist uh, pillars like 
you know, centralized control of schooling, of money, of, um, you know, of the regulatory apparatus, all that sort of stuff makes, makes some sort of sense. Um, and then, you know, when you educate everyone through that same sort of thinking, um, you end up having this sort of sausage machine where the people that come into power just sort of keep parroting the same crap over and over again. And they don't, they don't fucking know that it's bad until shit hits the fan somewhere. But the problem is the shit never hits the fan for them because they're not affected by it. Like the shit hits the fan for everybody else. Um, and they're, they're just completely immune to it. So it's, it's almost, it's almost hard for them to actually know that what they're doing is wrong. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of them do. Right. But like, you know, for some of them, like, I think they're blissfully ignorant uh, to the fact. And, you know, this is me obviously being very kind, right? <laughs> like, I can be a lot more vicious uh, in my analysis. But, you know, th this is sort of where I think we have a, you know, a series of challenges. So, yeah, man, you know, slowly by slowly, step by step, you know, America went from like one of those, you know, 10 points now to about six or seven of them. And, you know, America is behaving more communist-like than, um, than what it originally emerged as. So, yeah, my, my hope is that, you know, every time we sort of get that, something occurs that, you know, fragments it or restructures it or whatever. And I think, obviously, that's, you know, what Bitcoin represents more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the, you know, the personal responsibility and personal, you know, the, the sovereign individual, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I guess it is a tough question. And I and I, I, I ponder it all the time is like, why do you think that that has kind of gone to this shift where, you know, people kind of are OK with depending on the government, OK with depending on other people? I mean, I get it. It's easier and it's other things like that. But you know, for me personally, I, I just always like to, to, I guess, be in control. Maybe I'm a control freak or something, along mm -hmm. those, but I just don't really see, you know, the other side of the coin where it's like, Hey, you know, like I'd rather have the government or I'd rather have, you know, somebody else kind of taking care of me. Why do you think there's been such a dramatic shift away from just personal responsibility in general? I mean, you kind of said it in in this in ease, but there's also there's also been an edge in um, like you can get further by cooperating with many people, and you know, cooperation is a is part of like um, you know, offloading some of that personality, right? So if you wanted to build a business, you know, you would build an organization where you have multiple people. Like division of labor, right, is really you know part of it, and this is sort of maybe the ugly side of division of labor, which is. You know, you outsource so many things that you are, you know, completely interdependent with everybody else. Um, and then, you know, maybe the problem here is sort of you've got independence, interdependence, and then dependence. And I'm sort of making up this thing on the fly now is, you know, a functional society is hugely interdependent. Um, you know, it's not one where everyone is independent, right? And obviously not one where everyone is dependent. But if you sort of take that interdependence and then overlay it, you know, in the in the framework or in the paradigm of a, of a state apparatus, you know, with a central bank, uh, once again, you'll end up getting a lot of the interdependence get taken over by, you know, fewer and fewer entities, so you sort of get a transition from interdependence into dependence, which is where we're at. And it's sort of not noticeable bit by bit. And this is sort of like, you know, no one becomes a, um, 
you know, a communist overnight, it's, or maybe some people do, um, depending on how retarded they are. But, you know, a lot of people sort of end up there inch by inch, right? And, um, and yeah, I think that's sort of what happened is like at some point it was a good idea to, you know, place this middleman in because it helped, you know, sort things out. And then, you know, he placed another one, he placed another one. And, you know, then all those middlemen got bought out by one, you know, service provider or something, or, you know, one piece of technology wiped them all out and, you know, created a, you know, like you have these sort of waves of aggregation, disaggregation that sort of continues on and on and on. And, you know, then the government prints a bunch of money, you know, Wall Street gets it, you know, then Wall Street, you know, pumps up the value of a few companies, you know, and then they go and buy that. And, you know, this sort of, you end up getting this kind of weird situation where, yeah, all that interdependence is replaced by um, a few players. Um, and then we have this unsovereign structure that we all sort of live within. Um, and then, yeah, we all sort of find ourselves wondering why, you know, everyone sold their souls to the devil, but, you know, it happened kind of by accident. Yeah, but I mean, I think it just kind of revolves around, you know, it, it starts off in a good place, so to speak. Yes, yes. Like yeah. working in teams, you know, you think about sports, right? I mean, in order mm -hmm. to, everybody kind of has their own responsibility and the, the best teams are when everybody kind of knows their role and excels at that role. So, you know, do you think that it might have been kind of come, come from a, a sense where, you know, obviously money became really easy to come by and other things like that. But also, you know, it came from maybe a leadership, uh, you know, aspect where, you know, being a true, like strong leader, like, you know, I think about, I don't know if you're an NBA guy, but I think about the contrast between Michael Jordan and LeBron James now, right? I mean, mm -hmm. his mindset, Michael Jordan's like Kobe Bryant. And for those listening, you know, he's basically a killer mindset. He, he would just be extremely hard on his teammates. He'd yell at them. He even punched one of them in the face and kind of did, did all that stuff. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't the best leader, but, you know, it's just kind of a hard nose, like in your face kind of guy. And then, you know, on the flip side, we have Le LeBron James, who's like, the you know, probably the best player in the NBA right now. You know, the, obviously that can be debated. That's another show. But you know, he's, he's a lot more softer of a leader. He maybe blames other people. He kind of does other, other things like that. So he hasn't been as successful as a winner, but he's, you know, the pinnacle top athlete. And I, that's where I kind of see the shift in, you know, just leadership in general, just kind of like a, from a sports perspective. So do you think that that's kind of, I don't know, almost like a reflection of overall society where yep. we have like just very hard nosed leaders, but you know, it's been, you know, complaints, HR departments, all that kind of stuff have kind of made people, you know, pull back the reins a little bit when it comes to that. Definitely, man. I think leadership is fucking going down the toilet, man. Like, um, you know, I, I still say to this day, the last great um, American entrepreneur was Steve Jobs. Like after he died, like, all of Silicon Valley turned into fucking soy Valley. Like it was disgusting. Like Steve Jobs would be laughing at these fuckers right now. Um, and you know, like, I mean, you know, Jack Dorsey's in there, but he, he, I don't think he ever sort of really fit in with Silicon Valley. Um, you know, so he's always been a bit of a, you know, a wolf, you know, or a lone wolf in that sort of environment, but totally man, that, that kind of level of leadership has been lost because, you know, you sort of, you have, and when I say lost, you know, there's been a big generational gap. I think it's definitely going to come back. Right. And, you know, you, you sort of, you know, the environment shapes us more than we, more than we realize. And, you know, going through crap uh, inspires us to then, you know, try not to go through crap again. And, you know, we get, we get, we, 
we kind of emerged through the fire as stronger leaders. Um, and that's sort of the, the period we're in now. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's got a, a huge role to play because, you know, a leader is he who will take the, the tough choice when nobody else wants to. Um, and he'll then lead the packs, lead the pack, like in a, so the book I'm writing at the moment, which I've pretty much finished and I'll publish for Bitcoin magazine in the middle of the year, it's called the Bushido of Bitcoin. And in there, like you've got what I argue are the 11 virtues or principles that, you know, leaders of the future essentially need to adopt, um, in order to ensure that we don't, you know, create a new clown world just on a Bitcoin standard. Right. Um, and, you know, I think Bitcoin inherently helps with avoiding the clown world uh, situation again, but it's not a panacea, right? Like, you know, we, we could just end up with a bunch of really rich fuck Bitcoiners who, you know, become the next political uh, parasitic class, you know, and we, and we don't want that. So my whole position on it is, hey, if we're going to become the socioeconomic elite, um, you know, what are the virtues we must embody? Because we still need to be good people, not just have good money, right? And uh, in there, I use a whole lot of examples from, you know, ancient and medieval leadership, you know, a bunch of it from particularly Alexander the Great, who I think was one of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest leader who ever lived. Um, and, you know, there was a reason why his men followed him on foot fucking thousands of miles over deserts and mountains and snow and fucking rivers and you name it, um, to the ends of the earth, basically. So, you know, that kind of leadership, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if we'll ever reach that kind of level again, because that is like, you know, once in a humanity sort of kind of leader. But, um, you know, we, we can be inspired by the virtues that those sorts of people extolled. And, um, and I think if we can embody a fraction of those, you know, it ties back to what we said earlier about how do we fix the world is we sort of fix ourselves first. Um, and then inspire others to want to be like us. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think a big downfall of that kind of, you know, leadership or the lack thereof is, is potentially like the, you know, the shift in cancel culture and not wanting to, you know, be masculine men, you know, you have to like mm -hmm. rise up, rise up females and other things like that. And, and, you know, kind of encourage them. And, and there's kind of been, a, I guess, a shift in overall society where, you know, before during that time, it would be, you know, the men work, go to war and all that kind of stuff. And then the women kind of take care of everything at home. But now it's been like a shift where, you know, especially in the States where, you know, women kind of, you know, want to, I guess, excel at their career and do all those kind of things. And then, you know, people are starting families later and other things like that. So, you know, when it comes to that in society and kind of the degradation of that, right, we're having people live longer but, you know, my generation, especially, we're having people, you know, get married later in life, have kids later in life. And, you know, there, there comes potential health issues with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I guess from that shift and other things like that, obviously, Bitcoin doesn't fix everything when, when it comes to that. But, you know, what are some of the aspects with that and that mindset that you think can kind of help revert back? Um, obviously, you know, it could be the number go up because, you know, you typically see people with more money have more kids. But, you know, what are some of the, the ways that I guess Bitcoiners can kind of, I guess, revert back to that, uh, you know, earlier principles and kind of, uh, you know, make that shift themselves personally, um, opposed to, yeah, I guess, just following the, the socio or the societal norms these days? Yeah, um, very good question. So I think, 
you know, to your point, everyone is confused as fuck right now, right? Like, you know, people, you know, dudes are chicks, chicks are dudes, um, you know, who's the mom, who's the dad, like nobody fucking knows what's going on, right? And, um, and you know, like luckily though, we have seen a bit of a revival for, you know, sort of traditional, you know, masculine, feminine values, you know, and the, and the symbiosis and the complementariness uh, or, you know, the complementary nature of the, you know, the two energies and the, and the gender roles and all that sort of stuff. So that sort of stuff is starting to reemerge. I think, you know, the, the, the problem is obviously, um, as usual, complex, uh, you know, there's, there's social components to it, but, you know, th there, there is a specific money problem, which is a big part of, um, you know, why women end up in the workforce today is, you know, I know a lot of them that they don't necessarily want to work, but they're like, fuck man, you know, the guy I'm with isn't looking after me. And sometimes it's not that the guy is an asshole, but, you know, one, he's either brainwashed into thinking that, you know, we should split the bill, for example, like, like, a, you know, loser. And, you know, I, I say that harshly because I was one of those losers in my 20s, right? Like, I was not, you know, able to, you know, look after anyone beyond myself. Um, so it took me a while to mature. And I'm, I'm hard on that now, because I wish I grew some balls a little bit earlier, right? So so they're either that, they're either been brainwashed into that, or they genuinely are out there working fucking full time trying to provide, but they're making 80 grand. And now the cost of living is 120. So what do you do? Like, so now, so now both parents have to work, uh, you know, both the husband and the, the wife have to work. And it's a disaster, right? So then they, they can never, they can never catch up um economically speaking so then they keep pushing the baby back next year next year next year next year um and then they start freaking out because they're too old or whatever um and then you know they like it's a fucking disaster right so i think you know we're, we're probably the next 20 30 years or whatever 40 maybe 50 years who knows how long it's going to take to sort of filter through this shit but we're going to go through a rough phase man like and there's no there's no easy way out like i think the 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 wealth gap is going to increase and increase and increase further and further and further. That's not going to get any easier anytime soon. Um, but out the other end, we are going to have a world in which like, you know, wealth is more, not, not equally distributed and not evenly distributed, but more uh, naturally distributed. And when I say naturally, I mean more like a 80, 20 Pareto distribution, which is how wealth naturally should be distributed. Like, you know, there is, you know, people that are more competent than others, but an 80, 20 is a hell of a lot better than a 99.99, you know, 0 0.001. Right. And, and that's kind of the distribution we're heading towards. You know, we might not have that far extreme just yet, but you know, the, the money printer creates that. So anyway, I think, you know, on a Bitcoin standard, we'll get to the point where, you know, the man can actually provide for him, his wife and his family without needing to work fucking three jobs. And that's structurally super, super, super important. And then, you know, what, what ends up happening, I think, in that situation is, you know, as these, these incentives shift is, you know, you're actually incentivized then to have a family and to have, you know, a wife that wants to take care of you, you know, be a homemaker, like raise the kids. Um, you have less of an incentive then to leave your kids in some bullshit school so they can get brainwashed by some fucking hippie of a teacher. Um, and you actually have strength in the family because, hey, you as the husband go out, work, you build something, you fucking come home, everything's taken care of, you know, you take care of your wife, you know, you fuck her, you, you know, you have the energy to do that, you 
take care of the kids. The kids fucking have a respect for you because daddy's building something like all that sort of stuff starts to shift. And then, you know, the, the two worker households, the husband and the wife both working at the same time, are just working all the time and unhappy um, because they're both spending time working. So the, the incentives begin to shift. So it actually moves back towards, you know, family orientation as opposed to this kind of, you know, men and women competing in the workplace. So anyway, that's just sort of one um, angle. But I think that's, um, you know, where Bitcoin sort of plays a role is structurally and economically speaking, it, you know, brings us back to the ability that we can actually afford stuff again. And our purchasing power isn't diminished, you know, every week, every month, um, the way it is now. And, you know, the, the people who embody, you know, the, the right virtues and basically create a team environment within their family, they're the ones that are going to excel. Um, and that's what's hopefully going to drive um, people back towards that instead of just us telling people about it in a ther- theoretical way. And, and this actually ties back into what we said before about example, right? If I'm, you know, if I've got a super functional family, we're super happy, my fucking wife's happy, she's healthy, like, you know, we're having sex all the time, you know, we look good, feel good, we've got money, and guess what? There's only one of us working and we have this beautiful symbiosis. Like other people are going to want to emulate that. And that's what actually changes the tide, not just telling people to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I and I think like one kind of issue with, with all this that you didn't really point out just yet is, is the divorce rate and kind of the no- normal mm-hmm. of that of just, you know, making that bond and, you know, whether people want to say a legal binding document or in front of God or whatever, you know, your belief may be, but making that bond and then just just as easily just breaking it. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm, it, it seems like that's kind of been normalized. And, you know, I think like two thirds of the marriages in, uh, in the United States now end in divorce. So it's like well over, you know, 50% or something along those lines too. So it's not only that, I think, you know, one, like, like you said, it, it is the inflationary environment that we're in, right? I mean, like coming out of college, making 40 grand or, you know, making 60 grand or whatever you're doing, one, you're probably already in student loan debt. And, you know, you're kind of encouraged mm-hmm. to go that route and just take out debt because you'll make more money in the long term, yada, 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 you know, the, the kind of never ending cycle. And then around you, everything else gets more expensive. So not only do you get more debt throughout school, you, you know, you don't make quite as much as you need to, to actually live. You have to either shack up with roommates or with your girlfriend or whatever, do things that you're not necessarily prepared for early on in the relationship. And then, uh, you know, kind of rush things, rush into marriage where it's like, hey, like, you know, my parents don't want us to live together unless we're married. So let's do it a little sooner than than possible. And they're, they're doing this all out of need. And then that's causing, you know, divorce rates to kind of just go up. And, you know, obviously divorce, divorce is very expensive. The only one that really wins out of any of that is just the divorce attorneys. And so, yeah, yeah, in the state too, just kind of setting people back. So, you know, I think like you're saying, it's just kind of this never ending snowball cycle where debt has just grown and piled on um, every generation that comes next. And it's just kind of just going to keep going that way until there's some sort of, you know, whether it's a revolution or some sort of stop or some sort of way or escape. So I think that's like a reckoning. Yeah, a, a little popularization as to why maybe some of these crypto scams and other things have have been popularized because people are just looking to find a way to make make a quick buck and just find a way out of need. And so, 
you know, what do you think, I guess, is the solution to, I guess, building that, that true, I guess, family couple and kind of, you know, being able to, to keep it together while also trying to maintain, um, you know, the, those values and kind of have, you know, the, the, the man kind of take charge and, and, uh, you know, make the living and kind of go through that, that process and be actually happy because it seems like as a society right now, most people aren't. Yeah. Well, I mean, fuck. I love how this became a relationship advice podcast. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I don't know why I kind of turned down that rabbit hole, but it's just, it's good. it just kind of made me think about, you know, it's, it's not only, you know, the di- di- dichotomy between men and women, it's, you know, it all kind of ties around money at the same time, because the number one, you know, reason for divorce is, is money, right? So mm-hmm. I, mean, I just kind of yeah. reverts back to that, I guess. Well, do you know, do you want to know a fun fact? Do you know where divorce, divorce first became legal? No, where, where did it become illegal? I don't Dur- know. During the, during the French Revolution, that was like where it first all started happening, right? Um, okay. you know, divorce wow. was actually started to be normal. So, so that's why I kind of pinpoint that time as like a real sort of watershed moment for the West because, you know, the French went from the richest, most sophisticated and they, you know, ass fucked themselves basically and they destroyed their own civilization through, um, you know, through big brained stupidity. But um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, so what, what can we do? I mean, fuck, you know, th- this is where I think it's incumbent on men to really be, you know, strong leaders is, you know, your wife is going to shit test you all the fucking time. You know, like that's what women do. Like, and they, they do that for a biological reason, which is they need to be sure that when they're crazy, because like women are crazy two weeks of the month and then, you know, awesome the other two weeks of the month. And that's, that's just hormonal. They're not going to escape that. That's just how it is. Um, so the question that they're asking when they're shit testing you is, are you going to stick around, motherfucker? Um, you know, uh, do you have a pair of balls on you? You know, are you grounded? Will you be there when the time to get tough? Because if I'm going to have kids with you and you're just going to run away when time to get tough, um, I don't want to have kids with you. And, and you know, they, they don't even know that they're consciously doing that. So, you know, women just subconsciously shit test and they'll drive you fucking crazy. So it's incumbent on a man to basically, you know, there's a fantastic book called The Wall Speaks written by Jer. And, you know, he talks about, you know, a man's duty is to be a wall, um, you know, and the wall speaks, hence the name. And, you know, you don't get moved uh, emotionally. You don't get shook up. You know, you don't uh, deviate from the course. Like you, you lead and you provide frame essentially such that a woman can actually be free, you know, within your domain or under your frame. Like if you drop frame, she has to pick it up. And if she has to pick it up, she's being the man and she begins to resent you. So, so this is a whole like sort of, you know, a deep, deep rabbit hole. But, you know, to, to really tie it back to you is like the dude needs to take responsibility. He needs to lead. Uh, he needs to set the direction and the pace. Um, and he needs to sort of bring his, you know, woman under his wing and give her the certainty that, you know, he shit's taken care of, that he's going to provide, he's going to protect. Um, and that it's all under control, baby, basically. Like, and, you know, when she sort of feels that and it's authentic, um, and even when she feels that it's authentic, she'll shit test you again, right? Like, and she'll do it again and she'll keep fucking with you. And you just need to be unfazed by all of that. Um, you know, the world's going to always throw shit at you and it's a man's duty to sort of wade through the shit and be undeterred. And, and that, is, that is really hard, you know, but this is, this is the duty of being a man. 
and it's what you're going to need to to do if you want to sort of bring things back in order again and um and yeah i think there's there's no there's no easier answer to that other than you know strap on your balls and get on with the job yeah so i mean we've kind of been talking you know back and forth you alluded to it like a little bit of this relationship podcast but i want to tie it all back to bitcoin as to you know what um, you know, I guess gets you most excited about uh, bringing back that personal responsibility when it comes to the money and kind of the digital you know, rev- revolution that we're going through right now when it comes to Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, I guess like what kind of, uh, I guess, gets you jacked up and, and makes you want to write some of these pieces to kind of educate, you know, what has kind of happened in society, the downfall and kind of, you know, where we could potentially go when it comes to Bitcoin. Mm. You remind me of a. Did you ever read the Remnant series of articles? Uh, uh, the ones that you sent me, or the uh... no, there was sort of so the Remnant number one was in twenty twenty one, and then I did like Remnant two, Remnant three, and then recently I did Remnant four, which was like a comeback after about a year of you know being away from that series. Anyway, whether you read it or not, Remnant number four was, it's a brutal article. Like I wrote it sort of in the middle of the night, one night when I was in Miami, I couldn't fucking sleep and the neighbors were just making noise all night. And I was like, I'm going to kill everyone. Um, but, you know, I got up and I kind of like wrote, rage wrote this article in like, you know, 20 minutes. And then I came back to it six months later um, and I kind of finished it up and published the Bitcoin magazine. So I think it's called like Remnant Returns or something like that. Um, and anyway, in there, I, I make the argument that, you know, Bitcoin is um, is better not because it's going to help the starving kids in Africa, but because it's actually Bitcoin is right, um, and Bitcoin makes the 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 playing field against your opponent uh, level, so that you can win a fair battle. So my my point in there was that I don't care about you know winners and losers, um, and you know fucking evil lizard people behind a curtain and all that sort of stuff. Like what what I care about more is you know if you're did you win because you were better or did you win because you cheated? Um, and if you win because you cheated, you actually fucking lost, bro. You're actually a loser, and you didn't have the balls to actually win. You didn't have the skill. You didn't have the competence. You didn't have the courage. The honor. Uh, whatever is required in order to really win and what we've got in society today and this is where i think bitcoin's you know most important impact is going to be is that it's going to make winning you know great again <laughs> like, let's put it that way you know let's use a trumpism right so like you know winning is about being fucking better like it's because i was better than you that i won and that's a good thing um and you know some people might call it elitist or whatever but you know i'm sorry like i'm fucking better than you so i won and and that should be the sort of the MO and, you know, on a Bitcoin standard, you'll have a situation where it's much harder for, you know, some parasitic bureaucratic fucks to go and cheat and siphon away from the system. Cause you know, w- what you end up in that situation is you actually get pretty talented. So you've got the parasitic class who is, you know, out there like uh, winning by cheating and then that skews the system. And then you have the rest of the people basically split between the losers who just give up. They're like, fuck this. Why should I play the game when I'm just going to win? Oh, sorry, when I'm just going to lose anyway. So they just give up. So you get this increasingly large loser class, basically. And then you get the people who do want to win still, and they are competent and they're smart and all that sort of stuff. They actually go and align themselves in some sort of way with the parasites 
um, or with the cheating apparatus, right? Like that's your Jeff, Be Jeff Bezos and your fucking Elon Musk's and all that sort of stuff. And they take full advantage of the system because why wouldn't you? If you're a fucking winner, that's what you do, right? And they just take advantage of the situation and they get disproportionately fucking wealthy and powerful and all that sort of stuff. But they go and fucking sacrifice themselves and do it. Now, imagine if we're on a Bitcoin standard and you had that level of sort of uh, energy and intellect and competence unleashed on the world, um, you'd get a far better result because you'll have people, you know, competing on a, on a playing field where... You know, you don't have these, you know, excessive skewing of the results, right? So you'll have more people willing to compete than not. Um, and you'll have better competitors. You know, you'll have also people that otherwise want to not participate. So, you know, I'm one of those people who both participated and not participated. There's been periods where I just don't want to build a business anymore because I'm participating in a fucking Ponzi, right? I don't want to be involved in that shit. So I kind of opt out. Whereas if I know that I'm, you know, building something value and I'm, you know, not, you know, enriching a bunch of scumbags or whatever the case is, you know, I'll be more willing to compete. Um, and, you know, sort of the, the thing changes. So anyway, without sort of going too far on a tangent there, like people, if they want to go check that article out, you know, Remnant Returns um, on the Bitcoin Magazine um, podcast, sorry, uh, blog. But I think Bitcoin's number one impact is going to be that it, you know, levels it out and then we can finally go back to make the best man win because then, you know, the best do rise up to the top. We actually get true elitism, and I have no problem with elitism. I think elitism is great. You know, elite to me just means what you mentioned before about Michael Jordan or someone like that. That's elite, not fucking Christine Lagarde. That's parasite, you know, big difference. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that, you know, it all revolves around the competition aspect, right? I mean, it's the participation mm -hmm culture or participation trophy culture that kind of stuff right where you know the true root of capitalism is essentially just you know your back's against the wall you do you have a better product or service do you have a better mm -hmm. way to get that in front of people do you have the you know virtuity or you know the mental uh capability to go through those trials and tribulations all that failure whereas now it seems like everybody just kind of wants everything handed to them and uh well you know there, there's a there's a really important point here about like winners and losers i just want to say it before i forget is that like you know in a fair game there's actually a benefit to being a winner or a loser right so you know a winner is is a signal that you did better and if you lost it's a signal that you could have done something better and it actually teaches you to go back but in a game that's rigged if you're the loser the lesson is don't fucking play because the game is rigged and the lesson, the, the, the signal to the winner is that it's a fake winner. So there's no respect. There's just resentment. And that kind of, like, if you think of that sort of simple primitive and you, you know, zoom out and you look at the world, you, you understand why people resent, you know, the rich, you understand why there's such a, you know, willingness and nihilism, like, sorry, willingness to give up and nihilism, like, you know, all of that sort of shit starts to make sense. And I think just, just for our fucking souls and our minds and our hearts and our fucking future. Like we, we need to be playing a fair game and you know, that's sort of missing in the world today. So anyway, I just, I just want to say that about winners and losers because you know, people might be like, Oh yeah, this guy's all about winning about winning. It's like, no, sorry. Like sometimes you're going to fucking lose, but there's so much, like I have lost so much in my life, but you know, each time I've lost, I've had an opportunity to learn something about myself. And I come back better. I come back stronger. Um, and you know, th there's a purpose to loss, and you know, th you know, the 
the outcome of the loss can't be, oh, I lost because someone cheated. Like, that's really fucking bad. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly what you're saying there is like the, the outcome of the loss is not, not just because somebody cheated, but because, you know, you are the benefit of losing. I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, where you can really just take yourself, uh, look at yourself in the mirror, figure out why you lost and just do better next time. So I think that's, that's my biggest takeaway from all that. And I, and I agree with you a hundred percent. I think, you know, those athletes, like, like I said, Michael Jordan and all that, he, he's claimed like one of his uh, famous quotes is he's missed, you know, a million shots. He's, you know, lost a ton of games, but at the end, that's the reason why he's a winner is because he kind of take himself and, and look at those losses and, and really learn from them. So, um, but totally. you've been b- very generous with your time and I know you got to run here. So I'm going to let you, uh, why don't you tell the audience where they can find you and what you got going on? For sure. So, if people are on Twitter, then Svetsky writes. Um, if they're seeing this video, they'll see my handle on there. Um, writes like writing, W-R-I-T-E-S. Or just go to svetsky.info, and that should take you to my link tree. Um, and you'll see all the, the links there. Um, and if people want to support, like, you know, check out the Uncommunist uh, Manifesto that's on, on Amazon. And then ideally, there's a really cool publication that I run on a on an annual basis called the Bitcoin times. And that's got some sick fucking authors in it. Like each year I do one and it you know has the best authors in it. So I've got Michael Goldstein out of hibernation for last year's edition for the Austrian edition. So it's him, uh, Pierre, um, Saifedean, Conrad Graf, and Rahim Tagizadegan. And th- these are essays that you won't find anywhere else. Um, and I print them as a collectible. Uh, so there's 2,100 of each ever printed. Um, and each issue number is, uh, so each issue is numbered on the back. So anyway, that, that's a really cool project, BitcoinTimes.io, if they want to go and check that out. And um, and yeah, I really, really appreciate having me on, man. Of course, of course. So yeah, I'll link all those stuff in the show notes as well. So be sure to check it out and uh, give them a follow. And Alex, thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. All right.